0: Water is the blood that the mountains bleed And it kisses us in places the sun never sees The sun goes down, the bats come out It's their turn to feed And there's smoke on the water And I can hear it whispering to me Well, welcome to this week's episode of The Space In Between, called A Pinter Pause. We've just surpassed 2,000 downloads of the show, not counting streams, and this episode marks our 37th since the release of the podcast back in June of 2020. During this time, we have chronicled the impact of the COVID pandemic on the lives of Canadians, and we've attempted to raise awareness around issues which are foremost in the minds of people we saw the show as an opportunity to engage with people from all walks of life, to hear their stories and their ideas for a changing world. The show can best be described as eclectic, covering a wide range of themes and topics, from technology to innovation, politics, social enterprises, literature, music, and sport. This was an intentional, largely based on our belief that all knowledge is connected, and that good ideas from one field of endeavor can be transferred and adapted to advance knowledge in another. We realized we were in a unique position to affect change and to rethink our world. In this episode of The Space, we want to reflect on some of the big ideas raised by our guests in Season 2 and examine what, if any, impact we've had. Cam, welcome to this week's episode of The Space. I want to talk a little bit about some of the shows that we've had recently, in particular Pass the Jam, which I think has been absolutely fantastic, particularly this last episode where it was our first inaugural passing of the jam from our artist-in-residence, Ben Hunter, to Oliver McQuaid. What would you think of that episode?
1: Loved it. I think Oliver's great. I can't wait to hear more of his music. It was almost like these two guys, who I know have never met, knew each other quite well.
0: Part of the design of the show was to foster potential future collaboration between artists and friendships and mentorships, and I think that this particular episode was a testament to that vision. I really liked the interplay and conversation between the two of them. They, They delved very deeply into motivations behind songwriting, careers in the music industry, and that kind of thing, and they hit it off really well. I liked the existential bent that conversation as well. In particular, I loved Oliver's comment that the one thing that doesn't exist in the universe right now is my next song. And (laughs) so that was that whole notion of every piece of music, every piece of literature you write, even every podcast that we do becomes an added component to building out the universe. And I thought that was a really neat idea.
1: It was. And as we move forward, I think it would be great to see uh, someone like Oliver and Ben jam together. Even if we do it somehow virtually, I think it would be amazing.
0: We certainly do have that in mind. Ben and Oliver and I discussed doing a final show, maybe a concert of some kind potentially out here in Kimberley where we bring all the artists from the show together at the end of the season to do an event but even if that's not possible I do think that if we do something like a webcast concert or if we put together an album of all the songs from the artists on the show that would be a a terrific cap off to the season we now have quite a queue of amazing musicians uh, lined up to pass the jam to over the next number of months so I'm really quite excited about that there seems to be great support for this and I really like the fact that we have musicians talking to musicians.
1: It has worked in the past, too. I'm not sure if you're aware, but when the pandemic first started, the Bare Naked Ladies performed together, but separately. So each member of the band was playing from their home. Ed Robertson would play. And then another musician, Jim Cregan, would be at his place. But they'd all be playing in sync.
0: Yes, this has been done a number of times, actually.
1: John Forward, he's another one to think of that's done
0: that. I remember the first one I heard, and I I can't remember who the artist was, but it it was the song Stand By Me. And it started with a street musician uh, somewhere in the United States and then went around the world and everybody contributed to the song. So that's certainly an approach we could think about as well. The next thing I wanted to talk about was universal basic income. You know, we began exploring the idea of basic income and universal basic income in our season one miniseries called If I Were King. We recognized that while struggling with the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, we were also being presented with an opportunity to reflect on things in our society and decide whether the path we've been following for many years is the right one. And from that, we decided to reach out to average Canadians and ask them the question, if you were king, what would you change? And three guests on that particular series talked about basic income so that was the motivation for us exploring that a little more deeply and we reached out to the recognized champions of basic income and universal basic income to find out more. And, of course, this led us to Hugh Siegel, a prominent Canadian senator. He was the chief of staff to Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, a very accomplished man and the champion of universal basic income. That was a great interview. Hugh really approached the problem from the standpoint of social responsibility and the fact that our current welfare system is not doing a particularly good job alleviating poverty in this country. And of course, Hugh experienced poverty as a young boy, so... It was very personal to him. And then we moved from Hugh to Floyd Marinescu, who had commissioned a report on the economic benefits of universal basic income. That episode was called Building Back Better, a post-pandemic economic recovery model. So two different perspectives. Floyd Marinescu was focused on the economic benefits of universal basic income as a means to kickstart the economy post-pandemic, but also as a long-term economic strategy. So that report which is available through our show blog is quite detailed and shows the economic benefits to be had from universal basic income. I was pretty pleased to hear that Recently, the Liberal Party, by a vote of 77%, backed a call to permanently implement an income program similar to basic income and also similar to the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, the CERB benefit, which kept millions of people afloat during the pandemic. I think we we need to feel proud in some small way to at least have raised awareness of this issue on the show. If people haven't listened to those episodes, comes a time and building back better, please uh, visit our um, podcast channel and you can have a have a listen.
1: For sure. As being a, a person having been on welfare before, the system needs to change to help people who want to get off welfare to make it easier to move forward.
0: What came across both from Floyd and Hugh Siegel was that our current system is not doing anything to alleviate poverty. We still have a huge amount of people in this country living below the poverty line. As Einstein would say, his definition of insanity was that, you know, you keep doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. So we're spending, at least my understanding is we're spending somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 billion a year on our current welfare and social assistance programs, and we're getting no return from it. So why would we continue with a program that's absolutely not working? Exactly. And both guests indicated that our current system is, in fact, a disincentive to work. Because if you're on welfare, of course, you have to report your activities, every job you've applied for, and that requires a large amount of bureaucracy to administer that, forms to be filled out, to be reviewed, checked, and so on and so forth. The problem is, if you start earning money, then you're not eligible for welfare. It's a disincentive for people to work to get above the poverty line. And the critics that are against universal basic income or basic income claim that it's simply going to cost too much. The system we're currently uh, using is costing too much and not delivering a result. Um,
1: Yes, it might cost too much for time, but the money that's saved moving forward is incredible.
0: Yeah. And in terms of paying for it, uh, the articles I've seen recently misrepresent the numbers because they don't take into account the, 30 odd billion we're currently paying, so when they come up with a figure it's going to cost $85 billion to do this, that is assuming that the current system will continue to exist. And I think what both Hugh and, and uh, Floyd were recommending is that system could be dismantled Costs could be saved from the bureaucracy required to administer it to a simpler system, much like we saw with the CERB, that would actually deduct that $30 billion. So the number is probably closer to 50 to $55 billion, still a significant amount of money. But there are ways that we can pay for that and the economic stimulus that it would support especially as we move towards a gig-based economy, would be significant. So, again, devil's in the details. It depends on how it's implemented. Some people say it's very complicated or too hard to do. Both Floyd and Hugh don't believe so. Anyway, it's it's good to see that the liberals uh, are behind this idea. Whether or not we'll see it happen remains to be seen. But my thinking on it, and I have given quite a bit of thought to it and read a lot around it, was that we might start with something Fairly simple, which would be to remove the means testing from the current social welfare program so that we're not expecting people not to be working in order to receive money. If we were to remove the means testing and the bureaucracy surrounding that, we'll save a lot of money. There's all kinds of ways that have been suggested we might pay for a program like this. But one of the ways that I think would be really effective would be the removal of Provincial tariffs. Right now, we have an economic burden through our provincial tariffs to ship goods between Ontario and Alberta, different regulations and restrictions, which create a huge cost to companies to do business to supply our Canadians with goods and services. We need to eliminate these tariffs. It's estimated that if we were to eliminate provincial tariffs, we could increase our GDP by almost 4%. So there's certainly enough money in that one action to help pay for something like basic income. I'm excited about that, we'll see what happens and try to keep our listeners posted. I know you posted the announcement or the news coverage from a liberal convention on universal basic income on the Facebook page, so that's great. So other things we've covered during the show is we've had some um, episodes on climate change, trust in trees, we've covered the US election, the show uh, biding our time. We've talked about the future of work and learning in an episode of learning to learn online. And given where we are right now with the pandemic and and Ontario has officially closed the schools and likely for the remainder of the year, as cases of COVID continue to be on the rise, it's clear that this is something that we are going to have to be good at. We're going to have to incorporate online learning, at least as part of the educational mix going forward. There's no way around that. I was
1: gonna ask you, BC is not uh, hit as hard as we have been here in Ontario. But I notice your numbers are going up. What is the education system doing? Are you guys going to be closing your schools shortly or not?
0: So far, no. I think that's a bit short-sighted. I do think we need to be closing our schools. The pandemic numbers are in the rise. They were down a little bit yesterday in BC, but like Ontario, our ICUs are being overwhelmed. And if yeah. they continue to rise, we're, we're into real problems. I know people try to say that schools aren't spreading the virus, but I have a hard time believing that's true. You have kids interacting with one another. They're going home, interacting with their family, then coming back to school. I just don't think it's a smart move. I think we need to shut the schools down until the end of the year. We're already halfway through April, so really we're looking at May and, and June, and I think it's just a smart move. So hard to say what BC is going to do at the moment. It doesn't look like they're going to close schools. Another great episode we had in season two was called Love of the Game with guest Tom Scanlon. This was a great episode. It's still our most popular episode of the show so far. Tom was a charming guest, very passionate about his hobby of collecting hockey sticks and great stories about the hockey legends that we all know and love. So as Canadians, it's not surprising this is our top ranked episode.
1: He actually recently, if I'm correct, found another stick, a goaltender stick. Yes. Uh, I believed it was a promotional item but for him to pick that up on the side of a street somewhere was just great.
0: It was one of those mini sticks, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, one of like yeah, like a promotional thing. Right. You'd grab for your kids.
0: I used to buy those all the time when I was a kid, and we would play hockey in the house with those things. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I went to Maple Leaf Gardens, I would pick up a mini stick, a signed mini stick. And they've all broken now, and I have none of them left. But <laughs> I do remember them. So, what was your favorite episode, and why?
1: Hugh Segal was one of my top favorites because. I knew very little other than Serb about the basic income. So it really taught me a lot. Tom Scanlon was great. I know uh, Tom through my older sister and brother-in-law. I've seen his hockey collection. I had a tour of it, and he'll open that up again once the pandemic is over. i got to say, Ben, <laughs> Ben, you're out there. It was uh, a very enjoyable episode. I liked how we did it, you talking to him, me talking to him. I thought that was great. that will be uh a real treat for our listeners.
0: I love this last episode, Campfire Jesus with Oliver McQuaid and Ben. I just love the dialogue and listening mm. to both of them. They're so passionate about music. I think they were learning from one another throughout the entire episodes. So I thought that was absolutely great. I love the music as well. Ben's such a passionate guy. He's a road warrior, a hardcore troubadour. I really admire Ben's, Call it stick with itness, if you can use that expression. Knew what he wanted to do and just did it, regardless of what anybody else thought. I, I have great admiration for Ben in that regard.
1: For sure. He wasn't willing to jump on some top forty train. If he moved from genre to genre, it was because he found something interesting in that genre. Yeah. Not because he was scrambling to make himself a rock star.
0: Yes. The other episode I really loved was Little Bird with Darcy Van Polgeest. I really enjoyed that conversation. I thought Darcy was such a self-effacing guy. I had a chance to read his book, Little Bird. I loved it. I thought it was very prophetic and reflected this uncertainty in the world that we are all feeling now. And I, I just enjoyed the conversation. I found him really engaging. That was one of my favorites for sure.
1: We talked very early on in the first season about bicycles. Now, right. in this pandemic, people were going to be cycling. And you and I had a conversation just the other day where I told you one of the top stores here in Toronto had shut down one of their locations simply because they no longer had product for that store. So they moved whatever staff that they could to their downtown store. It wasn't that they weren't doing well. They had no product to stock in the store up here in Leaside. So why pay the rent? Bicycles, uh, I, I, my niece just bought one, she had to buy it online. There are very few stores that can give you a bicycle right now, that can sell you a bicycle here in Toronto. And I'm sure the same is is true out in Vancouver.
0: Do you think that's increased demand for bicycles or is it a supply chain issue? They just cannot get the bikes because we have such a disruption in supply chains.
1: I think maybe a bit of both i think the the manufacturers can't keep up with the demand and also because there's trouble shipping but we do make our own bikes here in canada but e-bikes and some of the other higher end bikes are impossible to get right now and if you are able to order one you have to be prepared to wait for a month or so again my niece got one i think through craigslist she got very lucky
0: people are just looking to be outside and uh to do things, to stay healthy, to get exercise. We've seen not just bicycles but we've seen this huge explosion in the sport of golf. I was reading an article recently about that. Clubs are seeing memberships up by 30%. Young people are joining golf clubs and playing golf because it's an activity that you can do that feels normal and you can be outside and with a small group socialization and I think that's really important for people. So I think anything to do with outdoor activities will be interesting to see if this summer what, what we're going to see in terms of recreational vehicles of all kinds, boats, sea-doos, camper vans, that kind of thing. I I suspect we'll see a lot of people on the move. I want to now move on to talking a little bit about show development, what we anticipate doing over the next couple of months, give our listeners a, a sense of where we're going. So we have a new Facebook page. Tell us about that.
1: Yes, we got a new Facebook page you can find. It's called For What It's Worth Podcast Series. Uh, If you'd like to contribute ideas, comment on any of the things we're doing, by all means go to the Facebook page, put in suggestions, you can comment, you can join the page to keep up on regular updates, it'll just come in your newsfeed, we don't send out any circulars. And uh, we'll also be putting up things like Oliver and and future musical guests will be posting their music, their videos and uh, you'll discover great things that way.
0: Perfect, perfect. And I think we want to try to use that to connect with our audience around some show ideas. It'd be really great to get some more feedback and and input from the audience about show topics for the future, but also to get them engaged in helping us shape some of these interviews. We also have a new Instagram set up and it's at forwhatitsworth.podcast on Instagram. It's quite new, we just launched that. So uh, please jump into that and sign up and we'll be continuing to post on that as we go forward. We have a new website that's under development, which we hope to have done by the end of the summer, which will allow us to consolidate all of our information into one place, make it easier for people to find content, reach out to us, and so on and so forth. Pass the Jam, again, we have a number of great artists lined up. If any of our audience is interested in participating, being a guest, please uh, review the Pass the Jam podcast and look at our blog page for details on what we require from you. Let's talk a little bit about some up-and-coming episodes. We have an episode, a little bit of Comic Relief, with one of Canada's best-known comedians. And uh, we're working on a really interesting episode uh, with him, which we hope will be able to engage our audience in helping us shape. We also have an amazing futurist. She's on the Forbes list of the top 50 female futurists in the world. We're pretty excited to have her on, and maybe she can give us some insights into what the future may hold.
1: And, Blake, why don't you tell our audience, too, what you mean when you say futurist?
0: These are people that are looking forward always and looking at trends in society. It's usually a broad spectrum of things that help shape our world. And they're researchers and they look forward and based on what they're seeing happening, they make predictions about where we're going in the future or what the future holds for us. So it's a bit of insight into what we can expect down the road.
1: Very interesting.
0: She's an amazing person, quite a well-known author, published a number of books, just finished a three-part series. The third book is to be published very shortly, so it'll be exciting to have her on the show. We have a really amazing guest coming up on the next Past the Jam, a well-known Canadian musician, songwriter, and radio personality so we're really excited to have him on the show and we're also working on a few other surprise guests from the social environment and not-for-profit sectors and we'll keep you abreast of of those all in all i'm pretty excited this would lead us into season three but in conclusion we need to give a big shout out to all our guests who have appeared in season two and of course to all our listeners clearly without your support We simply wouldn't have a show, and because of your support, we have a show that's continuing to grow, and we're very appreciative.
1: And I'd also like to give a shout-out to two people that you don't see. You only hear from Blake and I, but two people on our team, Allison and Rowan, we couldn't do it without you.
0: Yeah, you bet. It is a team effort. Well, this concludes our episode of The Space In Between, called A Pinter Pause. Cam and I will be back next week with another installment of What We're Listening To. For what it's worth
1: Or oh, I'll take the train to the highest heights of the
0: Himalayas so cold
1: or I'll head